Hello, everyone, and welcome to Disability Inc. Include NYC's podcast series. My name is Jean Mizutani, coming to you from Include NYC's offices in New York City. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Alan Goldstein and Liz Sargent. I was fortunate to meet Liz and Alan earlier this year when they participated in a panel titled Disability in the Family, which focused on the experiences of siblings of people with disabilities. These siblings face unique challenges, such as the awareness that they may become long-term caregivers or guardians, and that they may harbor resentment toward their disabled sibling or parents. Yet these very experiences seem to stimulate self-awareness and artistic expression. In today's conversation, we will explore the sibling experience through writing and film. And I'm so excited that Alan and Liz are joining us. Welcome, Alan and Liz. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Thanks first, for having us. <laughs> first, a few words of introduction. Alan B. Goldstein is the author of the new memoir, Fred and Me, a Willowbrook Survivor's Story. He has published numerous essays which explore personal experiences and the social barriers that, include, that impede an inclusive society. Liz Sargent has an extensive background in dance, theater, and film, which informs how she tells her stories. She is one of 12 children and in her work often draws upon her experiences of having siblings with disabilities. Liz is currently working on a long-term documentary that explores not only who will care for their parents as they get older, but also who will inherit the responsibility for the siblings who cannot care for themselves. So what a pleasure having you on, but we would not be here at all if not for Liz's sister, Anna, and Alan's brother, Fred. Liz, can you please kick us off by introducing us to your sister and siblings? I'd love to. Um, so I have um, a pretty large family. My parents had four kids and they adopted eight. Um, six of the kids are, of the adopted kids are from Korea um, during a time when there was a sort of a boom of Korean adoptions. Um, we had a, just to paint a picture, we had a magical childhood in a big house in a safe suburb um, with trips to Disney World. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of, you know, that kind of dream of, uh, of the big, fun, laughing family. Um, and uh, my parents uh, adopted six of the kids knowing that uh, some of them had some uh, presumed disabilities and many of them, and they wanted to offer uh, medical support in the US to sort of help them work through it. And many of them have become independent. Um, but the three youngest, uh, one has some uh, learning disabilities and also is struggling with borderline personality. Um, and I'm her representative payee, sort of helping her manage her independent life. And I have another brother who struggles with seizures and some uh, undefined disabilities. Um, and he's sort of figuring out his um, adult life. And then there's Anna, who is the youngest, um, who was born 
at two pounds um, with a cyst on her brain. Um, so she's sort of missing the part of her brain that has short-term memory. Um, she is the youngest of, of the 12, so she's the baby. Um, and uh, she's fun and witty and uh, she's physically, she does special Olympics for tennis and bowling. Um, but as she's growing older, her body's sort of stiff and she has fumbly coordination and uh, trouble with the daily tasks like showering or remembering her medications um, or even sort of entertaining herself. So we're in a transition right now where we're witnessing our parents um, having uh, less capacity for, for taking care of her. Um, and uh, yeah. That's a you know? moment in a family's life. Alan, tell us um, about Fred. Uh, Liz's story makes our life seem like uh, uh, growing up in uh, Never Never Land. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there were just, yeah, yeah. There, there, were, there were just two children. Uh, a third was aborted because the doctors thought, oh my, you're going to have another child with disabilities so don't do that so that's how the medical model screwed up our lives uh, fred is um my younger brother he's 68 years old uh he wears uh black uh, rectangular eyeglasses uh, he has a buzz cut and uh he can almost shave himself but he has one eye is hooded and uh he, he was hooded since birth and uh, I'll, I'll get into that later about why that wasn't uh, addressed. Uh, Fred's a charmer, yeah, a great deal of wit and humor and uh, quite capable of abstract thinking. Uh, he, uh, he told me this is a secret, but he wants you to know that he asked his girlfriend with Down syndrome to marry him. Uh, he likes cats, <gasps> he likes little children. Uh, he, right now he's in a program without walls, meaning he spends most of the week with the DSA direct service uh, professional uh, in the neighborhood. Uh, so he has community uh, uh, acquaintances now. He recovered from COVID uh, in, in earlier this year. Uh, he showed a great deal of resilience. Uh, he wants you to know that he likes keys, always looking for keys. <laughs> uh, he lives in a uh, in, in a group home now, this is his third, which just shows that addressing his abilities has worked. And he started in a group home that people had limited abilities. And then he moved to, after 20 years, moved here to Manhattan from Brooklyn to be closer to me. But it turned out it was, he was more challenged in, in this new setting. And now he's even closer to me and mm -hmm. in, in more ways than one. And, 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 uh, and it's a very advanced, a lot of the people there are quite capable. So we've always, he's been raising the bar and we've been raising the bar for him. So the thing about the group home, it's community living. I, I, I know we'll talk about that in a little bit while, but uh, the most defining characteristic of Freddie is that he's a survivor or he, he, he lived from the age of four to the age of 20 in the Willowbrook State School. Yeah, as, as you describe in your book, you know, Willowbrook is a topic in its own right. 
and listeners who follow disability history know that it was the biggest state-run institution for people with disabilities and was officially shuttered in 1987. It's impossible to even talk about Fred and his life without reflecting a little on societal beliefs then and now. Big difference over the years. Oh, that's an interesting point. Societal society doesn't know that it's happening until it's exposed and say, oh, that's so terrible. We had no idea. I don't buy that story at all. But, but Dr. Wilkins and Geraldo Rivera, they, they busted Willowbrook in 1972. It was on the news. And all of a sudden, the, the two different governors we had are putting money back into the system. Uh, that kind of money that is being threatened to be taken away now. So I always wonder how far we've really come. It was a, a place built, it was called a school, but um, a, a school is where people uh, learn, learn things. Here, there'd be a piece of paper on the floor and there'd be 50 residents fighting to play with that piece of paper. Uh, we would visit we would visit every other Sunday, which was which was um, Visitor's Day, and we would see sparkling walls, but always a smell of urine. Uh, we'd see a lot of kids sitting around, children sitting around with football helmets because they bang their heads. Uh, most of these children, and there were three staff members for every 50 children, so there weren't a lot of hugs going on. A lot oh. of the a lot of the kids there uh, were abandoned by their families. Uh, and, and, and so when my father and I would walk into this building to pick up my brother, there would be one and then three and then six children who were up to my waist and I was eight years old. And they'd start screaming, daddy, 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 oh, daddy. And wow. they running up to you and grabbing you and, and oh. hugging you. They just have you know, big, big smiles. And, and, and I, I'd have to peel their little hands away saying, no, I'm not your daddy. And we're looking over uh, their heads for my brother. And there was Nurse Hooks. I'll never forget <laughs> her name. Who, who, yes, interesting name, right? Was she... she Either she had a feeling for Freddie or she knew or they knew that Fred had family and we were coming. Uh, but mm -hmm. she would, she, we'd always get updates about Fred, but she'd come out from the back with Fred and, and then Fred would see us and he'd come running towards us, you know, uh, as fast as his little legs could take us. And, and we would get outside and slam that big green door and smell the fresh air. It was just so different from the inside. And none of these kids got to go outdoors because there wasn't enough staff to supervise. Right. So they spent their entire lives indoors. And the only time Freddie got out was when we came by or if we took him home for a visit. When I, when I talk to Fred now, he tells me Willowbrook yeah. is old. He, uh, he told me just yesterday, he, he took his clothes out. And we're talking about 1972. But people learn by, by watching. And the institution is that they were away from society and the doctors told parents what they what they thought the parents wanted to hear was, you know, tell the tell the family that uh, the baby died in childbirth or, or just, you know, dump them. Uh, they, they had no idea this medical model. They couldn't fix it. So they had no idea right. what to do. So with the society, the social model now, it's, you know, we fix society and oh, uh, we have early right. intervention now. And right. 
and, and, and we accommodate people's needs. And so the bar keeps getting, so it gets to the point where, I mean, my brother with assistance writes poetry. So, you know, go tell that to the doctor who didn't want to operate on his left eye, which was hooded. Oh, uh, yeah. And they say, oh, well, he sees well enough for a retarded person. This oh, was the, the psychologist at that place. And, and, and he was a, essentially a criminal. Because Terrible. Because they were wondering why my brother was falling down so often. It's because he couldn't oh, see. Well, you know, there just so much has passed, so much has happened, and you certainly had ample material to work with. I mean, this podcast is about processing complex feelings through art, and I can really see <laughs> why it wound up the way it did. I mean, ancient humans recorded their lives through art, perhaps as much for themselves as for others. Um, so I'd like to hear more about how it started for you, Liz, and what were your motivations? Um, well, I think uh, Alan's story is one. Wow. <laughs> you know, that horrific idea that um, I think a lot of people have grown up believing that all assisted living is like that. Um, and so thinking about this wide variety of people in my family that I'm thinking about their caretaking as they grow older um, is just frightening to me, you know, and um, and what started me was, you know, I was in New York. My whole family is spread across the country. Um, I'm in this point in my life where I'm feeling stability with the man I'm about to marry um, you know, working in my career, trying to be creative, taking the risks to be an artist and feeling uh, this pressure uh, with that responsibility um, for these people in my li life. Um, and at this time, my parents are aging. My sister is getting um, a little bit physical, uh, a little bit violent towards them. Um, and uh, they're calling me to sort of calm her. So, you know, in the middle of my crazy New York day, I'm getting these phone calls to sort of, you know, ease her and convince her to, you know, to, to take some space. And, um, and then at the same time, my sister who has borderline personality um, has stopped talking to the family and nobody knows what's happened to her. Um, so there's all these crazy ideas that maybe she's been trafficked, like we have no idea. Um, and just sort of being trapped in this emotional moment, um, losing my personal goals of being an artist um, and and wanting to care for these people. I, I sort of thought of this way of combining it all together. You know, people are always looking for documentary ideas or narrative, right. uh, dramatic narratives. And, you know, I'm sitting here living it. Um, and so it sort of gave me um, this moment to take over the narrative, um, to take control of it and to also make action. Um, and part of the documentary was to um, ask my parents and confront these questions of what are we going to do? What is the plan? You know, um, and through that, you know, asking questions um, about, you know, in my situation, my parents chose openly to adopt people with special needs. And it's a very interesting situation to think about if they knew what, what, what that takes and what it would feel like in their old age, you know? And if that is also 
you know, there's a different, even though we all grew up, we're very close. We're, um, you know, definitely a family, but there's a huge age range in our family as well. Um, and with a large family, there's sort of this thing of not it. Everybody sort of takes their, <laughs> takes their place as a certain type of person. Um, so there wasn't anything like Alan who had, it's, it's almost assumed and there is a huge weight to that, but there's also a huge weight of nobody <laughs> stepping up right. oh because, um, and having all these options and no options. Um, and so that's sort of what, what pushed me forward is mainly the fear, <laughs> um, and trying to do everything, which I think is also, you know, a sibling thing of trying to uh, take care of the world, <laughs> you know, uh, a learned thing as we grow up, but, um, yeah. And I think also, you know, I was reading this book, this book by Oprah about, uh, trauma and what happened to you. And I think there's like a beauty and a trauma to being a sibling and seeing the world like this. Um, and I think they can, they can both be, you know, we can hold those hand in hand. Um, and she says something about um, all of us want to know what we do, what we say and who we are matters. And I think something about these actions and standing up for your family and being there um, and making these decisions, these very like huge ethical human decisions um, felt important for, for you know, a wider audience to see and feel that impact. Um, I think it's like universal. Uh, questions that we have. Oh, Alan, how did you get started? Yeah, you know, Liz, it's, it's been documented that uh, mm. in, in the, in the, I'm not ignoring you, Gene. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, it, but it's been documented that the women siblings typically take over. You know, and if my sister had been born, you know, who knows what, you know, if she would be doing what, what I've been doing instead. Uh, I, I began, you know, I, I guess the question is, how did I begin writing? I, I was an actor for more than 20 years, uh, which means that I became a really good bartender. And, I, it, and it just seemed that just my father had been dead for 10 years. And I, I think my mother had just gotten ill with a, with a cancer. And I, I needed to tell this story about my last moments with my father. So... I enrolled in a personal experience writing course, and I'm still with that teacher because it was over 20 years ago. And, and so that's how I began writing. But so, so writing, the, the art began with a need. I needed to write, tell the story. And uh, I, I had always written in the past, but never thought, never had the patience to be a writer. And I think that's what the 20 years as an actor helped me do. It, it taught me how to be centered, that and yoga. But my motivation, was uh, my mom's death spiral. Um, in, you know, the visits to the hospital, the operations, the failed operations, the, the, the being uh, hospitalized, uh, the being in a hospice. And so there was, it, I, I found that the writing was a way to uh, shed sadness or confusion and certainly anger. And, and what I, I learned, which all writers and all artists know that, that we, we write to get it out of our system. 
and essentially to understand. I would I would tell all my students that you know once you write it down, put it in a piece of paper, you know, crumple it up or get it published, but it's out of your system. But I've been learning recently, no, <laughs> it's not out of your system. It's a, it's 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 been understood a little bit better, but it still really makes you angry or 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 or, or upset. Doesn't it provide a wee bit of distance though? Oh, well, living it, I, you know, I, I know the, the book I was speaking with Liz uh, earlier, that uh, the book was essentially um, keeping a journal of my brother and I uh, meeting, you know, weekly or, you know, meeting weekly and, uh, and what happened. And so the writing was really to, uh, to you know, to not lose those moments. So, because uh, I find if I don't write about something, it's gone. But but here, it's always here, and um, wow. I, I I think it was a way for me to establish our new re reality. And so the distance is certainly with uh, you know the, the past family members and, and 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 his and my interaction with past family members. Um, you know, we have a perspective now, like I never knew a particular aunt was so lonely, but I discovered that together with Freddie. So I understand your question, you need distance, but th this was in the moment and again, the need and, and the motivation was right there. Uh, I, I, I was never at a loss of what's next. <laughs> you, know, you know, something happened that weekend, the highlight, and that was the basis. That was the theme of that chapter. Yeah, so. I love Alan, in your work, I feel like you've got such also like soft, sensitive moments, like the ice cream story, you know, there's these very intimate, quiet moments that happen where you're sort of just seen eye to eye with your brother. Um, I think those are really lovely as well. Thank um, you. Not just ca capturing the drama and the need and the, and the conflict, but also these like very, very, um, special intimate human moments that are hard to even have with you know typical people sometimes you know yeah, yeah. Um, but there's yeah the, the relationship those, is different and those are probably the important moments because that's uh, you know that, that, that's what connects you connect yeah, yeah 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 um but i was also thinking about uh what gene was talking about um i've been thinking about disassociation a lot <laughs> and um these narratives about um, pulling myself out of the story completely and being able to see it objectively. Um, and I think that that's a lot of why I do this as well. Um, I think for the documentary, it was questions that I um, didn't have the emotional vulnerability to sit down and ask my <laughs> parents um, and something about hiding behind the camera and asking them these questions um, gave me this armor um, even though they could turn around and ask me questions, but in a way it was like, um, it just forced them not to, them not to avoid it. And for me to, to be brave enough to ask it. Um, and, you know, I'm writing narrative scripts right now. And I think there's something about, um, thinking about these difficult situations, um, you know, as a film or as a story and also finding a solution through them um, and seeing how I can be different or rethinking the characters in my life in the story and maybe seeing them in a, in a new light. Um, and so I've found that really helpful, actually. It's a lot easier than feeling like, 
I'm like spinning out in the world, <laughs> um, like uh, controlled by other people's needs and emotions, um, which I think growing up in a family like this can happen to you. Um, so, well, you're yeah. you're the so you're the boss. You're the boss. You're controlling the interview. You're controlling the, the the line of thinking and and sharing information. And it's for you basically. It's you're digesting it. And this is you're cutting up the meat in little pieces so that you can <laughs> digest it. Yeah, yeah. And, and I am choosing how much I am willing to offer of myself, um, which I think that um, in my life being a caretaker. Um, and being in these situations where there are people in need across the board, um, I've felt like taken advantage of in times um, because other people's needs were greater than mine. Um, and so in this way, also, I can protect myself, you know. Um, I, I, could, I could offer, stick my nose in your business. <laughs> Good. <laughs> it, it, it's that I know with the memoir, it came down and I spoke to some famous memoir guys and they always said, yeah, what about you? They kept me, you know, what about you? What about you? So be prepared <laughs> that, that when people are taking looks at, the, at, you know, at, at, at your footage, you're going to say, we want to know about you. And you may come across just from your questions. I think the audience may catch on, you know, you, because I, I never did focus on me and yet it's all there. So you're going to get hit in the head. What about you? But stay strong with what you're doing because you is there. <laughs> you, yeah, yeah. You know, you've created this sucker. <laughs> but on that note, I mean, and, and I'd be curious your experience um, looking at yourself within your uh, memoir. Um, I have done some test edits on my documentary. Um, and I think that I get people who it resonates deeply with and people who also have find uh, dissonance in it, you know? Um, and I think it's interesting that um, the sibling or the disability community resonates deeply with it. And um, sort of outsider communities sometimes are critical about my strong feelings within it, which um, I think I've learned a lot about myself um, and my reactions within, you know, these situations that has been very therapeutic to me um, and and given me a greater, a better idea of, you know, what this situation is and, and, and being fair to the people involved. Um, but yeah, putting myself in there and being a voice or a narrator or an active participant um, has been something I'm still figuring out um, in the process. Well, it, it depends on who's criticizing you. You know, a lot of people, if they're outside the world and don't outside the world, disability world, that don't have it in their family, they're they're intrinsically ableist, and 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 therefore they don't see you dealing with a person who's a person, and and has uh, wants work and wants love. They they don't get that, and so they they may even be uncomfortable with with what you're showing them. Or and they don't don't just understand your passion. Of course, you, you, you know they'll in, in the long run they're gonna really love what comes out. Yeah, but I think I think there's also this carefulness about being 
especially if you're outside of having these very close relationships with people's uh, people with disabilities. Um, people are uncomfortable with the idea of anger, you know, or resentment or, um, and I think that's a really important part of the entire story, you know, and part of that anger and resentment often stems from deep love, you know, and protection. Um, so for me, I'm just figuring out how I need these stories to land and what the lesson is at the end. Um, because I think that having all of those emotions and complicated um, situations where you're not your best self, they're not their best self, but that is actually what humans are, you know, not always their best self. Um, yeah. 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 That's the truth. Well, you know, the arts create community by depicting shared events sometimes. And you've talked a lot about the responses of others to your work. How do you think others have benefited? Liz? <laughs> um, I think just seeing that these stories exist, for me, just a part of the process of finding these communities um, has been really important to me. Um, not feeling alone, such as like the Sibling Leadership Network um, and Include. And, um, and so I think creating these stories um, for our community, the people who are experiencing this um, is just, you know, consoling in a way. But also I think, I think a lot about this, about the audience, the wider audience um, and how we don't really realize that everyone is, is closely related to somebody who has a relation, a close relationship with someone with a disability. And I think reconsidering or understanding, I don't know if I'm saying this very well, um, the people, hmm, you can edit this out. <laughs> um, I just think we're all closer to disability than maybe we know. Um, and I don't think it's really talked about um, in communities. And so I think seeing these narratives and being able to talk about them is helpful. I think Edit so it too. out. No, I, I actually <laughs> think it's extremely helpful. I mean, this is how we create norms. These stories are super important. I, I'm sure that many people that gravitate to your work gravitate because they also have disability in their families and they'd like to see models and ideas how other people cope, other perspectives, but it's way beyond that. Somebody who's never really thought about it can learn too. So I think mm -hmm. it's pretty amazing. I mean, art in, does influence society by changing opinions in the end. You agree? One, one, one person at a time, right? Gene, what was the question? <laughs> I let I let you guys run with it because we were talking well what we were supposed to be talking about was the kind of responses that you've gotten to your work ah, and I heard okay. a lot of answers already is there anything we've left out oh I find that uh yeah, I think this may just be repetitious uh, that, that people do feel better prepared for dealing with similar situations uh, 
that they anticipate will arise. Uh, on the other side, it's uh, people have been saying it's more of a light onto the unknown world of disability. It's, it's like an introduction to disability world. Um, but on the bottom, the bottom line is we read to learn how others dealt with the situation that we're presently in. And what's happening is a response is that people are understanding that they have choices uh, uh, and that the people with disabilities can do have preferences and, and do, you know, favor this food over that food or surprise when they could choose where they really, where they may live. When my brother learned that he could move from one residence to another, that was, that was like uh, discovering that the sun, you know, comes up every day. And so it builds a great deal of self-esteem. I, I think the responses are the, to the book anyway, is they enjoy seeing a development of a brother relationship. And um, they, what, what do I have here? Oh, I have something that I wanted to share with you. That the, the, and I only know this because these are, these are quotes from reviews of the book that they, they, they see that the book is it's like, it's a powerful reminder of the importance of providing a person-centered life. And mm -hmm. that's something Liz will be working on you know, with Anna, uh, or it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a look on the ways that we treat those whose brains work differently uh, and how we, you know, we, we, we make them second-class citizens. Um, and, and, and then that somebody who's labeled with intellectual developmental disabilities can also be creative and is a fan a feeling human being. Uh, the, the, the world, the people outside this world just don't know this, you know, as we found from what Liz was saying. And, and, and that's, that's, the artist is there to reflect society to society, see what's going on. You know, to understand themselves, even in the time of uh, Galileo, you had the ballad singer, and he was telling them, yeah, you know what, you don't have to turn the other cheek, you know, or you don't have to make the shoes for the rich guy, you can make them for your kids. So the artist is always, is, that's the job. Yeah, and we're not, yeah, I think. And, 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 and we're not thinking, oh, yeah, this is my job, I'm going to reflect, it's, you know, we're, we're being, at least in my case, I'm being selfish and trying to understand what was really going on. But I, I guess it's being willing to share it and, and show it to others so that they can, get, they can benefit from what I discovered. Liz, you were going to say yeah. something. Um, I may have forgotten, but. <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's my disease. Quickly, yes. <laughs> I always tell yeah. my students, look, I'm going to have to butt in here because I'm going to forget. You're too, you're too young. You're going to remember. I'm going to forget. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, I, I guess I was thinking about how, um, for me, it's it's very personal. Um, and I feel like I just want to capture this moment that I can feel is very important with very, like, um, interesting lives. Um, and... Uh, and I think that if people can relate to another human, if you can offer that snippet into a life and someone can, can, you know, they resonate with them, then you will fight for them and be active. You know, like I don't make political work. I try to make very just human personal work. Um, and I think that if, you know, 
you care for another human um, and know them, then I think you'll protect them and think differently in your yeah yeah. I, so I think that's what I think that's going on with the film and with the book is that is that is that the audience gets to know the individual. Right. That right. Now, and then, I, and then you're dealing with a person. Yeah, and if an artist's work is reflecting the world, it's just about adding to that narrative, you know, and we have a very specific access into, you know, um, a world of people. Um, and I think, you know, I was thinking about that, you know, about privilege and how it's, it's a privilege and it's difficult for um, people who have family with disability to share their story because the weight of their daily life is so much. Um, and so for us to just be documenting this in any way is very important because that's the work that disappears in the world because those people don't get to have that voice because they don't have the time or the energy or, you know, the clarity or the selfish selfishness, <laughs> you know, to take that space for themselves. Well, well, there it is, because the final question is, what do you think is the legacy of your work? It's funny, you two are ahead of me on the questions all through the, <laughs> all through the conversation. I think the legacy question is an important one, though, because art is lasting. Art is you, yeah. Liz, Pardon did you me? want to go? <laughs> it reminds um, me of the story. There are two actors on stage, yeah. and, the, and the sound guy rings the phone by accident. So one actor says to the other guy, uh, "Pick it up." So the other guy goes to it and he says, "It's for you." <laughs> <laughs> Liz, I can um, take it first if you want. Now I forgot. Yeah, go for it. Okay. Actually, <laughs> let me let me let me go first because you'll summarize well. Um, okay. I mean, for me, I, I in some ways to me, uh, the documentary is like the legacy of my parents who have given their life to their children and supported um, many children with disabilities their entire life. And I think, you know, they're unsung heroes. Um, and it's also um, giving my sister a life and a voice um, to a greater space or audience. Um, and I'm obviously within that, um, but for but I think I make the work a lot to process these ideas. Um, and if I can just get through this, you know, life <laughs> emotionally stable, <laughs> understanding, um, you know, these situations in a deeper way, then that's enough for me. Um, I do think yeah. others will benefit as well, though. There's no question in my mind that they will. So there. So there. <laughs> I, I, I think yeah, when I think about legacy, which, um, you know, after completing Fred and Me, I, I told my wife, you know, this is really essentially our legacy. We, when we're dead, this is going to live on. That's why I'm trying to get it into all the libraries, <laughs> but 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 I think what 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 I'm what I, I hope re comes out of the work that I've been doing is that people, all people, will understand that being different is not being less than. 
and that difference is natural. Now, and I share, I, I told Fred that we, we'd be uh, talking uh, uh, today. And, uh, and, and so I, I understood that we might be discussing this question. So I asked him, you know, what is, <laughs> what's the legacy? <laughs> what is he? Well, I said, what, what do you want people to remember you know, uh, uh, about you? And, and he, he, we went through a list. He said he, he washes the table. <laughs> uh, he likes mobile phones. Uh, he has a, he has cars that have that he runs by batteries, you know, through the house. So watch out. Uh, the the big secret, but he wants me to share is that he, you know, he had a girlfriend. Uh, that he goes to camp. That uh, he likes riding the bus, but not the subway. Even accessorized okay. He likes uh, arts and crafts. Uh, you know, soap making. They did a lot of that. <laughs> I ended up with a lot of soap for a lot of years. <laughs> he he plays uh, played the keyboard with uh, in Daniel's music. So he and, and now he does the drums uh, when pre pandemic and hopefully with post. Um, and he likes to visit my house overnight. And that he is strong. He is resilient. You know, having to dealt with to deal with this COVID. And he likes to go places. He and I presented his story to uh, the Best Buddies International Conference uh, a couple for a couple of years. And, and I guess the big one for him that he wanted to leave us with is that he loves new baseball hats. So maybe that's what he needs on his tombstone, a baseball hat. Well, that's beautiful. You know what I love about that? That's like everyone's legacy, you know? Like those little things mm. are actually, you know, what life is made up of, right? And Fred yeah. is famous now. He's quite well known. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to thank you both so much for sharing this conversation with us. I've enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you very much for participating with us. And I want to say thanks and bye to all of our listeners. Catch you next time on Disability Inc. <laughs>